Blog Talk Radio. to She Said, She Said's fourth very special episode of our hashtag iCandy series. This program is where we celebrate and honor internet movers and shakers who are ideal and they are incredible men and women, people who are interesting, innovative, and iconic. Hence, iCandy. I'm Lena Stagg, your co-host on She Said, She Said, and I'm the author of the Recipe Records series of rock and roll cookbooks full of great food, good fun, and awesome rock and roll stories, facts, and trivia. Please check them out at lanastagg.com and sign up for my free newsletter and my rock and roll blog this month, the ideal month for gardening. And I'm going to be talking in my blog about the new George Harrison tribute garden that I'm designing and planting. Uh, You can find more on that at my blog, www.rockblocks, and the, the number three, .blogspot.com. Most of you Harrison fans know that George was an avid gardener, and I'm catching that fever as well. Join me for some gardening ideas and inspiration and follow the progress of the garden throughout the summer. So I have a great contest, so you want to check that blog out. I'm even planting a section of that garden in honor of my co-host, Jude Sutherland Kessler. It's a strawberry fields forever patch since she's leading the leading John Lennon expert. Right, Jude? <laughs> Thank you. That's so sweet, Lena. I really do appreciate it. I, I have my mom's recipe for strawberry pie, so I can't wait to taste a few of those strawberries as, as the summer goes oh. on. But, Hey guys, how are all of you today? Hello, Dara, out there listening, and the Hicks family. I am Jude Sutherland Kessler, author of the John Lennon series. And if you're new to She Said, She Said, and you're wondering what the heck is the John Lennon series, it is a highly researched and documented narrative history detailing, of course, the life of, of John Lennon and his mates, the Beatles, as well. It was supposed to be a nine-volume series. It appears these days it's going to be ten volumes. But uh, three of the books are out. The fourth is coming out in August, and it will take you on the wild ride that was 1964. So much happened in 1964, and we go almost day by day through the year. It is a fun and true story. You can explore that new volume and read a free sample chapter and find out about all of my books on my website, which is, very logically, com, 
And, of course, while you're there, just as Lena suggested you do on hers, I invite you to sign up for my free newsletter. It comes out every month on the first of the month. And I'm offering some pretty cool discounts and gifts for people who pre-order book four. I'll give you a little insider track. We, I just saw the brand-new cover for the book last night, and in May, get this, we're going to be giving a free poster of the cover. So there you go. Well, Lena and I usually are here at least once a month to debate controversial topics from the Beatles world, but today we are super excited because we have a very, very special guest with us, and I'm going to let Lena break the good news. Oh, it is going to be such a great, great afternoon, and I'm so happy that everyone gets to enjoy this spectacular guest with us. I must say as a side note that I've had the extreme great opportunity to read a little bit of Jude Kessler's new John Lennon book, and you are going to be blown away. I just can't even can't even put into words how much uh, you are going to love this new book. So I am really um, suggesting that you get to her website and sign up for all of her uh, goodies that are coming up. You are going to absolutely be blown away with this new book. Okay, today we have a guest so special that we had to divide this show into two parts. Part one will air today, and then in May, we are going to share part two with you. Our hashtag iCandy guest has done so much work in the Beatles world, it was impossible to condense his experiences and stories and incredible sound clips all into one segment. Yeah, I was so privileged to be able to meet our guest today at the New York Metro Fest for Beatles fans back in March. And after we chatted for just a few minutes, I was furiously texting Lena and then getting her on the phone to say, we have got to have this gentleman on our show. Uh, he, He is a fascinating writer and producer, and I want to share just a smidgen, and I do mean a smidgen, of his biography from with you. He hails from Canada. And he produced, in 1969, a, get this, 28-hour radio special on the history of rock and roll that was so well-received that the very next year, in 1970, he was asked to create a totally new show, this time an eight-hour documentary called The Story of the Beatles. And in a very sad turn of events, which we'll really go into next time that our guest is on the show. In December of 1980, our guest was contacted to write and produce a two-hour special radio tribute to John Lennon that aired on December 10th in 1981. And he worked side-by-side with Yoko and created a three-hour special for the NBC radio network called John Lennon, A Celebration. Yeah, we've heard some of the clips from this, and it's Mm. so touching and so special, and I really can't wait to get into that next time. But today, we're (laughs) primarily going to be talking to him about what happened in 1983 when he was invited to co-produce Ringo's 
Yellow Submarine Radio Show, which is, guys, a 25-hour ABC Radio Network special hosted by no, none other than our very own Seringo Star. Now, you, you, you know there's no stress in having someone on your radio show who wrote a radio show for Ringo Starr. (laughs) So by now you can see just how elated that Lena and I are to have this very sought-after, talented gentleman on the program who also happens to be one heck of a nice guy. Lena and I are sincerely over the moon to welcome to She Said, She Said, Doug Thompson. Hey, Doug. Hello, Lena. Hello, uh Everybody, Jude, that's uh, quite an introduction there. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's just a smidgen. Oh, we, <laughs> that's right. We are, we are just so delighted that you would take the time out and, um, and call in and be on our show today. I know you're calling in from Toronto, a very happening place. So, uh, Doug, take us back to that morning in 1983, when very early in the morning hours your telephone rang and your life changed dramatically when you became involved with the ABC Radio Network's Ringo's Yellow Submarine. Actually, well, actually it was late November of 82. Um, the show was in 83. And uh, I was in L.A. staying at uh, the Continental Hyatt House on Sunset, affectionately known as Juice. <laughs> I am Doug? still here, but I think we may have lost Doug. So okay. uh, why don't you play the clip, Lena, while he tries to call back in? Okay. I am this going is, to queue up. This is his this clip. This is a clip from, from the, the ABC Radio Network, Ringo's Yellow Submarine. Now hear this. This is Ringo Starr on board the Yellow Submarine. Batten down the hatches. You and I are about to take a sentimental journey through 20 years of Beatles memories and music. This hour we set a course for Abbey Road, the White Album, and hear how Let It Be came to be. Full speed ahead. Let me take you down. No, let me take you up. Because this is Ringo's Yellow Submarine. Ringo on the radio in my yellow submarine with a Beatles 20th anniversary celebration. When we were recording, sometimes one of us would come into the studio with only part of a song finished, or maybe only a title in our head. Well, here's a song like that. When John brought it in, he called it On Our Way Home. And when we'd finished with it in the studio, it became Two of Us. I Dig a Pygmy by Charles Hawtrey and the Deaf Aids. Phase one, in which Doris gets her oats.
The Golden Slumbers Medley from Abbey Road. Before that, too, by George, for you, Blue, and I'm mine, which also became the title of George's book, Plug, Plug, Plug. Welcome aboard. This is Ringo's Yellow Submarine. Well, it's easy to look back now, you know, if the material had anything to do with the breakup of the band, that there was so much of it. I think it probably could have been a factor because then everyone wanted to make their own albums. A lot of bands now are doing the separate albums and then returning to the group. The difference with us, the group was paramount. That, you know, that's all I really wanted to work for. And for years, that's all anyone wanted to work for. And I think because of the frustration that, you know, like I'd have one track, George possibly two, and the other seven, usually ten tracks, uh, was, you know, John and Paul. And then I think even between the pair of them as our writers, that, you know, three and a half tracks each wasn't quite enough to say what everything they wanted to say. It's a factor, I don't know, I wouldn't put it down to that's what broke up the Beatles, because I think the real factor that broke up the Beatles is that we'd been together for, well, eight years. Though they'd been together years before I was in the band, only eight years your lifestyle and your attitude changes and we didn't actually want to put in the time and energy that we had to on Beatle Records because you did spend your life being, you know, Beatles on record. Everyone wanted to do their own thing, man. Everybody wanted to, you know, do their own records. There's a lot of factors that split up the Beatles. It was not the ladies that broke up the Beatles. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. And that's Ringo's Yellow Submarine for now. Climb aboard next time when we'll set a course for more Beatles music and memories. We'll hear songs from Abbey Road, the Magical Mystery Tour, and I'll even give you a drum lesson. Ringo's Yellow Submarine was written and researched by Doug Thompson with Rick Levert and Ringo Starr, engineered for Startling Studios by Mike O'Donnell, and for Watermark by Paul Liebskind and Stu Jacobs. Production assistant, Nancy Conover. Created for the ABC Radio Network by Corrine Baldassano, conceived by Walter Sabo. The programs were produced and distributed by Watermark ABC Radio Enterprises. Producer, Tom Rounds. So, from the bridge of my yellow submarine, I'm Ringo Starr on the ABC Radio Network. And that was a fabulous, fabulous clip. Thank you, Doug, so much for sharing that with us. Well, that was a great fun to do. Now, okay, let me go back to your question. Can you hear me okay now? Yes. yes. Hello? You're, you're great. Okay, good. Uh, back in the late, around October, November of 82, I was in L.A. doing interviews for another radio series. And the phone rang at 8 o'clock in the morning at the hotel, and it was Tom Rounds, who I'd known briefly, and he's the producer of, of, of this series, and it, uh, he started Watermark in 1970 to really syndicate Casey Kasem's American Top 40. 
But by 82, they were doing all kinds of other shows. So Tom didn't say hello. I, I said hello. He just said, how'd you like to write for a Beatle? Uh, that woke me up pretty fast. So I said, absolutely. And he said, can you come down to the office at 11 o'clock today? I did. And we worked it all out. And uh, I started writing. And we went to England to record for the first set in January. Hmm. That is amazing. Now, that'll that that'll wake you how... up on it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It did, yeah. Now, the way it worked, we, we talked to Ringo on the phone on a couple of conference calls ahead of time. But... Because he didn't really know me, uh, he didn't feel comfortable being... See, the first three days, we just had to do the interviews, the stories that he told. Those are all purely ad-lib. They're not scripted, obviously. And there was, there was one in there that you played. And so he, he wanted somebody that he knew and had been interviewed by him, or he'd interviewed... The, uh, they'd interviewed him, and he asked for Dave Herman from WNEW in New York. So Dave came over with us for the first trip, just for the first three days. Then he went back to New York, and we continued with the scripts. In the second set, in February, we came back for another week, another six days. And we needed more stories. By that time, Ringo was comfortable enough with me that I could interview him. So that's kind of how it all worked. Wow. I mean, how exciting is that? Now, you were driving out to Tittenhurst to do the work. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, Ringo had suggested the first time that we stay at the Dorchester Hotel, um, and I don't think anybody at ABC realized how much the Dorchester <laughs> cost, because the second time we weren't staying at the Dorchester, uh, we stayed at the St. James Club the second time. But uh, yeah, it was a very expensive hotel, for sure. Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton mm-hmm. stayed there, the Beatles obviously stayed there, and all of that. Yeah, it was an hour's <laughs> drive uh, out to Tittenhurst from, uh, from London, yeah. And then I know that you met the lovely Bond lady, our Bond girl, Barbara Bach. Tell us a little bit about that. Barbara was pretty – she kept herself to herself pretty much most of the time we were there. She came in and greeted us the first time, and we brought her flowers to thank her for letting us borrow Ringo for all this time because we we weren't supposed to get there. I don't think this is telling any tales out of school. He was – Ringo was still drinking at the time. Of course, he doesn't anymore. Uh, and we weren't supposed to get there till noon. So we worked from basically noon to six, sometimes seven, but mainly noon to six. And Barbara came in and said, hi, how are you, and all that. And I, she grew up in New York State, so uh, she uh, knew the Beatles, all the rest of that. And she was very gracious about it, except one t- I'll tell one story here. Um, about <laughs> halfway through the week when we were doing the script itself, uh, she'd been riding. I guess they had horses. They obviously had horses because their daughter had uh, was riding too. And she mm-hmm. came in. There was a little door to the outside into the studio, directly into where Ringo was sitting, the actual booth mm-hmm. part. And she came in, dressed up uh, to the jodhpurs, and just kind of looked around. I guess she forgot that we were still working. And she said, oh, oh sorry, dear, I didn't know you were still being Ringo Starr. And Ringo, <laughs> quick as a flash, turned to her and said, Sorry, dear, I've got to pay for the curtains. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. But and she was good. She was good about it all. At the end there, um, she came in uh, the last day on, in February, when we went back in February. Uh, on the Saturday, we were working on the Saturday, and uh, we got there at noon again, and Ringo asked us all, 
everybody else in the uh, in the crew, there was Tom around, so there was me, and there was one other person from ABC, Corinne Baldassano. And they'd all had lunch. They'd had lunch together, uh, breakfast together, rather, and I hadn't. And Ringo just says, anybody hungry? And I said, well, I didn't have breakfast. He said, what would you like? I said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. He said, how about a fried egg sandwich? Uh, okay, sure. Well, I assumed because I'd met the couple before he'd had a chauffeur and he had a cook. They were a husband and wife. But yeah. And I assumed that she would make the sandwich. But what I didn't know was that he had fired them or Barbara had fired them the day before. So it turns out that Barbara herself made the fried egg sandwich and brought it in to me. Whose fried egg sandwich is this? She said. And so she Every made it man in America hates you now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a good that was a good time. It was fun times, yeah. Wow. That's great. So so what was it like working shoulder to shoulder with Ringo? Was he easy to work with and did he did he like your your suggestions and and your work. Yes, yeah, he was. I mean, he had no. The only thing that he had a problem with was one. You can see me changing the script there on that picture that you put out uh, to promote the show today. But there was just one spot when I I started to write and I researched and I heard an interview that John had said and I read an interview that John had said that when he was writing about Norwegian Wood, it was about an affair he had, but he didn't want to tell Cynthia. Well, I kind of put that in the script, and Ringo says, oh, uh, no, I don't want to say that. That's not really uh, – but John said it himself, Ringo says, yeah, I know, but I'd really rather not – so I just changed it for him, not a problem. That was really the only one he had a problem with. Everything else, he was fine. Yeah, yeah. And and John changed his mind so much from moment to moment on why he wrote songs that – he could have been in a very perverse mood the day that he said that too, and then wished he hadn't said it. And you know, once it's out yep. there, it's out there. And you know, you never know. But um, I see Ringo being sensitive, you know, to the, to that. So yeah, well, we he are. Very, very good we, with that. We only have about uh, eight minutes left, and this this time goes by so quickly. We really haven't even begun to scratch the surface of your Beatles connectivity. But tell us very quickly before our next um, little question. Um, how can people keep up with what you're doing? Do you have a Facebook page? How can they follow you, Doug? I do have a Facebook page, and uh, it's just Doug Thompson, D-O-U-G-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. And my avatar there, the picture is, is Ringo and I, so you can't mistake it for some other Doug Thompson. Uh, and there are quite a few of them out there, apparently. Uh, but that's my avatar, <laughs> yeah. so it's Ringo and I in the studio. And I did write a whole bunch of stories for uh, – a uh, singer named Bob Segarini, who was in a band that was signed to Electra Records around the time of the uh, the Doors era uh, out in L.A., and it's called Don't Believe a Word I Say. And if you go to that site and you just type in my name, uh, that's a song that he wrote, by the way. That's why he called it that. Uh, if you type in my name in the thing, all of my columns will show up, and you'll be able to read a little bit more about some of this stuff. And you don't have any qualms about having your blog on a site that's called Don't Believe a Word I Say. No, 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 no. no. That, that, was a, that was a song, like I said, that Bob Segarini wrote. He actually was a very well-known uh, singer. He, uh, he was on RCA at the time, the band he was in. He was good friends with the Monkees. He was excellent friends with Harry Nelson. Uh, they co-wrote a song together. Uh, and he's, he's loved up in Canada now for the last uh, 40, certainly 40 years. Wow, I'm just picking on you. 
<laughs> well, Doug, we, we kind of jumped right into 1983, and, and in a way we put the cart before the horse because tell us a little bit about your time before Ringo. Um, what is the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say? How did you get started creating Beatles documentaries? Well, 69 was, as you said, was the first time uh, I was working at a radio station in Toronto, which was the number one station in the city called CHUM, C-H-U-M. And um, they really were having a problem with Bill Drake's history of rock and roll. And he had sold it to the competition. So CHUM decided that, okay, well, we're going to create our own. And we literally had like two and a half, three weeks to do this. And I just went and started and we did 28 hours in, in two and a half weeks. But in 16, in 70, the next year, uh, they wanted, again, uh, the Bill Drake had sold them the Elvis Presley story or another history of rock or something to our competition. And they said, well, this time we'll do the Beatles because it was about the time they were, they were breaking up. And so they said, we'll do a 12 hour show on the Beatles. I ended up producing eight of those hours. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that ran all over the world. Chum uh, gave that basically to stations that, that wanted it just for the cost of the, the tape to dub it. So that was the first real Beatles special that I'd done. In 80, in 80 when he died, within half an hour of his uh, announcement on TV, I was in the studio in Toronto at a radio station putting together a two-hour show that, that aired all across Canada. And then the next year, NBC came and said, would you write this three-hour special called John Lennon's Celebration, which we'll, we'll play a bit of next time. Uh, and that, that was really where uh, Tom Rounds kind of knew that I could do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Well, we're really looking forward to uh, hearing more about the John Lennon show in uh, May when we get to meet again. But um, as they say in Liverpool, we uh, are going to Gotta go. get the grist. <laughs> um, well, tell us, tell us who are who are some of your favorite uh, Beatles people to in the in the in the world of interviews. What have been some of your favorites? Wow. Uh, well, Ringo, of course, obviously, right up there with uh, since he was there. Uh, the weird thing was on the live show. I'll just tell you a real quick story. On the there were 24 hours of recorded shows. And then the 25th show was a live show in November out of KLOS, KBC in Los Angeles. Ringo was there. The uh, on-air host was Gary Owens of Laugh-In fame. And Ringo said, well, what if people call and ask me questions? I don't know. Doug has to be there. So Doug insisted, uh, he and Ringo wow. insisted that I was there to answer any of the questions for people. But uh, he was certainly one for sure. But I'll tell you, the two favorites of mine are, are both tailors. Alistair Taylor, who was Brian Epstein's assistant, and Derek Taylor. Derek was a wonderful Mm. man. I spent uh, almost an entire day with Derek at his place, uh, about an hour outside London, and he just told me story after story. His wife made us lunch. It was a beautiful, beautiful Mm. summer day, and he was just so nice. Such a wonderful man. I love it. He t- we're just. I'm sitting here with his book right next to me as time goes by, li- living in the '60s. And yeah, you know, I've never talked mm-hmm. to anyone who didn't love Derek Taylor. No, he was. And I'd interviewed him before. This, I think I interviewed Derek 
three times. And Alistair probably about three times as well. I'll tell you the craziest one, though, real quickly. Uh, the craziest one was Norman Smith, the engineer up until uh, the Rubber Soul, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He'd been retired for many years, and uh, he liked to have a tipple. Uh, so <laughs> we were doing the interview at night, late at night. Well, not that late, but anyway, we missed the train. Uh, so he said, well, I'll drive you to the – we missed the one train we were supposed to get. There was another late one. He said, well, I'll drive you to the station. Well, he was well gone by then. He had way too many drinks. Sorry, Norman. <laughs> and basically, we weren't sure we were ever going to get to the train station alive. He was just winding all over the road. But we did, and we made it home safely. So he was a wonderful guy. Too. Yeah, that's great. The old Hurricane Smith. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I was a huge fan of his uh, Obey, What Would You Say? So that kind of endeared uh, me to him a little that's bit That's a well. great song. <laughs> That that's yep. an unforgettable song. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that's quite a um, quite a compliment. Whenever Ringo wanted to have you by his side on the the live show, that's uh, that's really um, in, endearing. Well, the interesting thing was it was it was in November and it was the same weekend as the L.A. Beetle Fest. It used to be called Beetle Fest then before it became became the fest for Beatle fans. And it, right. they stopped doing L.A. after a few years. And basically somebody called in once and said, hey, we're calling from the Beatle Fest. And I don't think any of the Beatles were real thrilled about the Beatle Fest back then. They said, well, what are you doing there? Get out of there. But once they realized <laughs> that Harry Nilsson was there with, uh, with his anti-gun uh. thing and, and selling the, the 45 that he'd done for that, they sort of mellowed about the Beatle Fest. You know, That's who was cool. for it is... John, because Mark Lapidos went to see John and asked his permission to put Beetlefest on, and John yep. wholeheartedly endorsed it and said, "I'm a Beatles fan myself." And he was with Harry <laughs> Nilsson at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was he, crazy. He lo- he loved it. Well, um, well, this has been great. Doug, I thank you, Judy. I thank you, Lena. This has been fabulous. Oh, we we are just delighted. One quick question: It's it's very important. Did uh, you pick up any tips from Ringo on how to look ageless? No, he's he's got that little area cornered there. I'm not sure if he's using Helena Rubinstein or what he's using, but uh, he looks really great for, uh, what is he, 78 like, now or 80? What is he called? Yeah, yeah. 78. He, he looks yeah, fantastic. 78 this summer. He does. Well, he absolutely we, does, yeah. I have to say, I love talking about Ringo, but I can't wait till you come back in May for for the second part when we'll get to talk about John and all the work that you did for him. And uh, we really, both Lane and I, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us this afternoon and to share these stories. I love your storytelling. I told Lane, I said, you're going to love to hear him talk. So, Doug, thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, thank you very much, and I'll see you in May. Terrific. Thank you so much, Doug. We're looking forward to it. Bye-bye. Well, thank you all for listening, and we look forward to another episode in May. We'll play out with a song that Doug might just enjoy. And until next time, here's to food for thought, food for the soul, and food for the love of rock and roll. ta and shine on. In the